Thank you, Rav Ozeri. call Hakadosh I'm still under the spell of spending about the last 15, 20 minutes in the Seder Halimud that was going on here in the afternoon of a sweltering hot day in the Yom Tzom to see such a tzibur learning Torah with a coil Torah. I, I've never seen such a thing. So, Ashreichem ba'ashreichelkeichem. The Rabbi Nishlam Shehelb, you should continue to go mechoyel elchoyel in Torah and avoidus Hashem and to always be mekadeshem shamayim in everything that you do. My mind is a little bit unsettled today. It's in a different place, in a different time. In 1944, Yud Ches Tammuz was the same as this year. Shiva Osa B'Tammuz was on a Shabbos, and the Tzom was Nidche to Sunday, Yud Ches Tammuz. On that day, the last transport, the last train that deported Jews to Auschwitz left, Sunday, Yudches Tammuz, 1944. My father, his parents, his siblings, all the people in his town were on that train. They went on the last transport to Auschwitz. My grandfather, my Zayde, was the Rav and the Dayan of the town. And I heard this from people who were on the train that there were people who wanted to fast because it was its own. It was stifling hot. And he was telling everybody that they have to eat. It's a nitche. It's a nitche. And they need to have strength, whatever they could, to eat or to drink. Upon arrival... Sunday, Yud Ches, Tammuz, 1944. They died al Kiddush Hashem. My grandfather, my grandmother, and many other members of the family. I don't know what his thoughts were on his final journey. He was a relatively young man. He was 54 years old. Did he think, did he dream that he would have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Did he know? Was he aware? But I want to share with you a letter that I found at home. This yellow piece of paper. At that time, one was not allowed to send mail that was closed because the German censors had to read anything that was written. Now, he had two sons, my father's two brothers, who had escaped to England at the beginning of the war. And he had received a message from them. They were living in London. He had received a message that they had gotten married. You can try to imagine. He didn't even know to who. That's, what time, that's how difficult the times were. But if you sent a letter and it was open, and they could read it, 
and then the person who received the letter would have to write back on the same letter. So here, he writes a letter, and the date is on it, April 1944, April 19, 1944. This is two months before he was killed on Kiddush Hashem. And you have to write in German so they should be able to read it. He said, I got your mail, I got your letters, who did you get married to, who are your wives, everybody here is fine. He couldn't, of course, describe the situation, the deportations that was happening then. He just gave regards from the family. Now this arrived in London, and his two children wrote back on the 21st of July, 1944. I have to check on a calendar to see if they were still alive at the time that they answered. And they wrote back, we're fine, we're happily married, we're happily married and satisfied, and also the two Kalas signed their names, one of them is an aunt of mine who's still alive in Eretz Yisrael, she should have Rikas Yom Vishonim. But by the time the letter arrived, was after the summer, he never saw the letter. My grandfather, you have his writing here asking, their answer, by the time it came back, it's dated, it was read July, it was, uh, they wrote July 21st, arrived back October 24th. How do I have this letter? My father came back after the war, he came to his house, and the Goyesha neighbor said, oh, I have a pile of mail for you. Life went on as normal. He didn't ask, where are the people to whom the letter was sent, but here's this letter. And here he found the letter that was never received. To me, it just makes it very immediate, very real, to see how everything just went on as normal. I once read that the Jews of Amsterdam, when they came back to the concentration camps in 1946 and 47, they had to pay penalties and late fees for all the property taxes that they hadn't been able, they weren't, hadn't been paid while they were in the concentration camps. Everything continues and goes on. But since it's the outside of my grandfather, I just want to share something that's printed in one of his svarim. Because after all this happened, and we're beginning the three weeks, and we're thinking of all that Klal Yisrael went through, this terrible, terrible Golos, we know that we are a nation as we saw in the parsha this past Shabbos, Hen Om Naso. We're a nation that rises like lions. After the terrible destruction, once again, Klai Yisrael was rebuilt. We're learning Torah. We're keeping mitzvot. We're building yeshivot, kolalim, keilot kedoshot. And he quoted the Gemara. The Gemara says, Moshe Rabbeinu was buried, but we don't know the place. We know the mountain, we don't know. The Pasik says. And the Gemara says, We ask, Heichon Kivurosoi Shal Moshe. Where is the burial place of Moshe? 
Yesh omrim lamala, some say on top of the mountain. Yesh omrim lamata, some say on the bottom. But the Torah says, Nobody knows. And my grandfather explained it like this. The Goyim asked, How can we bury that Moshe? How can we bury the people of the Torah? Some said, let's lift them up. Let's bring them close up. Let's give them rights. Let's emancipate them. Let them assimilate with us and become one with us. That will do away with the Jewish people. Some said, persecute them, stomp on them, murder them, create a whole system of annihilation. Lamata to push them down. But the Hatoyah says, Nobody knows how to bury Klal Yisrael. Because no matter how many times where they were lifted up or pushed down, Hen Om Kilovi Yokum we rise with full strength, the strength that we have in inheritance from the Oves HaKadosh. And so we're still here, after all that we've been through. But it's been a very, very long time. We had long hoped that there wouldn't be another Ben HaMetzorim. Wouldn't be another Shabbos of the Tamas. Wouldn't be another Tishabov. There's a story told the Naimali Melech on Shivas of the Tamas was going with two of his Talmidim, the Rebbe of Apt and Rabbi Shalem Sasada. And it was a broiling hot day. And they asked him if they can go just to cool off, to dip into the water. There was a little river, and he sent them to go. And then they saw that he had thrown his head back, and he was having. And Liyat Nishama, like he went up into the upper spheres of the upper worlds. And they ran to him, they wanted to know. And when he came back to himself, he said he was just in Shamayim. And he told the story. There was a girl, when Shiva Sabatamas that year was fasting, she wasn't feeling so well. And she went to ask her love, can she break her fast because she's not feeling well. And he said, well, you're not sick. And he said, I don't see any heter in the Poyskim to allow you to eat. So she continued to fast. But apparently it was a mistake and she became weaker and weaker and she died. And the name of the Melech said she came up to Shemayim and she called the Anshei Knesset HaGdolah. She called them to a Din Torah. And she said, how did you institute a fast of Shiva Asa and because of this, I lost my life. And the Bezdan Shomala asked the Anshek Nesad Doyla, how indeed were you guys that did you decree such a fast? And they answered, Rabbi Shalom, when we instituted this fast, we never dreamed the Golas would be so long. We thought that Claudius Hill would be in Golas for a thousand years because. By the Rabbeinu Shalom, a thousand years of like a day, and it says, Kol Hayoim Dovov. We never dreamt that it would be nearly 2,000 years that they would still be in exile when they're in such a weakened state and that the fast could do such damage. Had we known how long this Gullus would have been, we never would have decreed such a fast. Even they couldn't fathom 
that we would still be here after so much that we've gone through and we're still waiting for Mashiach and yet every year at Shiva Sabatamas we begin once again it's a cycle you know the Luach the Jewish calendar is a finely tuned Seder it's a cycle what we're really doing today is this is the first day of preparation for the Yom Neiroi, for Shoshani and Kippur. It begins with mourning, with Havelut on the Chorban, and then after Tishabah starts Yimei, Nechama, days of consolation. Then we start self-reflecting, and we start doing Tshuva, and then we have Kapara, and then we come to the great Simcha of Chagasukot. What we're really doing today is once again beginning the awareness and building for ourselves the binyan of the entire year. But it's an extraordinary time these three weeks. The Pasik says, And the Svarim say, It's as if it would say, Whoever pursues Hashem, his sigua, can reach Him in these days. It's easier to become close to Hashem in these days than is the entire year. Nebel Melech and Pashas Vayeshev quotes the Ravina Magid, and he says, A Marshal Nufler says, If somebody goes to the king's palace and he walks over to the king, he says, Your Majesty, I want to invite you, come to my house for a meal. That would be considered quite a chutzpah. Why should the Melech, why should the king leave over his magnificent palace? It's a tirch of him, it's a part of him. Why should he go and eat somebody else? Even though somebody else has a beautiful home, it's not going to compare to the palace of a king. But he said, imagine if a king is, chari- is, is traveling in his chariot and he's on a long journey and somebody sees the royal chariot and he runs over and he says, Your Majesty, maybe you want to stop, take a break, come into my house, have a drink, eat something, rest up then the king would look at it as a favor. Yes, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And the person doesn't have to have a palace as long as the house is clean and it's orderly. The melech will come and he'll sit down, he'll spend time, and he'll actually enjoy that the person did him a favor. In Yemei Bein HaMetzorim, the melech, our king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, doesn't have his palace. He's not at home. He's in exile. And anyone who goes to him and says, come, in, come to me. Come in, not just to Hashem, come to him. He will be doing him a favor. HaKadosh Baruch was looking, where can I rest? And anybody who opens his heart and soul to take Hashem into him, will find Hashem entering him, and HaKadosh Baruch will be makir tovah to him for taking him in. So how do we take HaKadosh Baruch Hu into our hearts? How do we take Him into our soul? We have to work on the things that Chazal taught us cause the Churban. We all know the Gemara, Masech Yuma, the Gemara says, Ba'yis the first base of Mikdash was destroyed because of the three cardinal sins, Gilgarayis, Shvichas Domim, and Avoyde Zorim. Ba'yis even though they kept Torah with Mitzvot that they did, Gimilam Chasadim, 
but Hayabahem Sinat Chinam. There was baseless hatred. There was infighting. There was machloikis. And because of that, the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. And says the Gemara Lalamdoch to teach you, Sheshkulo Sinas Chinam Kedeged Gimel Averes Chamuras Avodesvarosh Vichasdom Megilei Arayish to show you that Sinat Chinam is as severe as the three cardinal sins that one has a chiyuv of mesirat nefesh. It's very difficult to understand. How could that be? We know the Gimel Averis Chamuris is Yaharek Val Yavah. It's the most serious offenses that there is in all of, in all of the Torah. Asinah Sinah is an ugly thing. There's a mitzvah sasayba after Echel Kamoichel. There's a loy sasayba sisna sachichel bilbovechel. But shkulo, it's as bad as Gimel Averis Chamuris. How can we understand such a thing? Let's take a look a little bit further. The Gemara says, Rishoyim the first base of Mikdash, where the chatoim, the sins were revealed, it galu. So to the kates, the end of the galus was known. They knew after seventy years they're coming back. But in the second base of Mikdash, shaloi nizgalu avoinom, the chet was not revealed. So to loy nizgalu kitsa, we didn't know, and we still don't know when the end is going to be. And we know the most difficult part of this goddess is the secret of the Kate's aploys that we never know. We thought so many times, Mashiach is here, Mashiach is here, and yet again and again our hopes are raised, and then again and again we're disappointed. All of that, why? Because loin is gala avainam. What do you mean loin is gala avainam? The Gemara says, Sanaschinam is the cause. And I once heard a beautiful pshat. Loinis gala avayna means to themselves. When a person does an avayna, even gimel avayna schamurus, he knows he did an avayna. He's aware of it. And then he can do tshuva. And sometimes, because the avayna, the transgression is so severe, that itself is what brings him to tshuva. He says, oh, what did I do? I did such a terrible thing. And that will bring him to tshuva. But when somebody is involved in sinas chinam, in machloikis, he doesn't even realize he's doing an Aveda. He's convinced he's doing the right thing. You tell him to do tshuva, he says, all right, I'll make the machloikis even bigger against that person. Because he's convinced it's not b'chinam. Nobody hates anybody for nothing. What, a sinam, what do you think it means? Sinas chinam. I think it meant, I look at the guy, I don't like his face, I start to hate him. Sinas chinam means the things we all know, things that, v'tvarem shalma b'kach, and I made a big deal out of it. He didn't come to my simcha, or he didn't invite me to his, or he didn't treat me with the kabod that I thought I'm deserving of, or he didn't do me a favor that I thought he should do for me. Or he acted in a way that I perceived as disrespectful, and then we start building up all sorts of mountains in our minds, and the machlekes becomes bigger and bigger. Never, I would never do such a terrible thing. But all of that cast and all of that resentment, you know what that does to a person? Do you ever try to talk to somebody who's involved in a machloikis? You can have a more intelligent conversation with a cow. Because when people are involved in a machloikis, their minds shut down. 
And what do they see is the thing that they're involved in. You try to tell them, you know, it's such a bizayon, it's so not becoming to you to be involved in this thing. Yeah, but that guy said it. I'm not told what the guy said or what the guy did. Talk about you. He doesn't hear. If, if, or he's going on and on about the fight that he's involved. You try to explain to him, you know, you're really getting very boring. Nobody's interested. Nobody cares. We all have lives to get on with. We're not really so interested. Yeah, but what the guy said and what he did. Maybe that's a little bit of an extreme version. But most of us, even when it's brought to our attention, the resentment that's within us and the chaos and the, and, and the machloikas and the sinaschinam, we can't get past it. We cannot get past it because this Aveda weighs down on us so much that it crushes our spirit, it crushes our ability to see straight. Maybe when Chazal said, Shkulo, Sinas Chinam, Kenegin, Gimel, Averes, it doesn't mean that it's as severe. Shkulo means a weight, a mishkal. Every Aveira weighs on us. Nothing weighs so much on us, cripples us, breaks us, crushes us, changes who we are, makes us unable to think straight, and just lets our Midot take complete control over us. Like this Aveda. It causes us to lead our lives instead of with our minds, with our feelings, with our anger, with our resentment, and sometimes with our hatred. We become unable to think. And that's really a behemoth. A person who doesn't think loses his faculty, his ability to think. And starts to act like a Balchai. What do you think it is? You know, somebody described the scene, he saw a narrow street, and there's a car going up the narrow street. It's a two way road, but two cars can't pass. So the narrow car is coming, the other side comes a truck. Now they're facing face to face. And the first guy says, No, you move back, you move back, you move back. They start beeping. Everybody's beeping at each other. He's refusing to move, he's refusing to move. And now this car's piling up behind him, car's piling up behind him, everybody's beeping, so I'm not going to move, you're going to move, I mean, you're going to move. Finally one guy, the, the guy in the car, turns his key off, he walks out of his car, I'll show you, he says, hey, you're going to show me, he turns the key off of his truck, and he walks out, everybody's beeping, they're each showing each other. What are they really saying? What are they saying? The first guy is saying loud and clear, I am a donkey. And the guy's answering, what do you mean you're a donkey? I am a monkey. That's what they're saying. They're saying we have no control to think something, do what's right, do what's best, whatever we can. We're incapable of it. Just like a Balkan. can only do what he feels like doing. And he wants to get angry, he gets angry, he wants to hit, he hits, he wants to bite, he bites. And there's nothing you can't talk to anybody because he's closed, his mind is closed. Shkula, Shkula, it weighs on the person, crushes his, his human spirit and turns him into someone without a mind. So where do we get Das from? How do we get past these things? To bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu into ourselves in the days when he's saying, I need a place to be. Because we're saying, you know, I'm on the road. I need a place to be. Is your heart open for me? Can I enter there? He's begging for you. How do we become Balai Das? 
The secret of Das is in Emunah. In believing that everything belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu controls everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the money who bore the whole Hamasim, who also oise the Yasin, the whole Hamasim. Everything belongs to him, it's all his. You know, we just had the Pasha of Bilam. The Yomora says, that Bilam was so dangerous, the Zayar HaKadosh says that there was never such a time of danger for Kal Yisrael since the creation of the world by the time that Bilam wanted to curse Kal Yisrael. And the Gemara tells us that there was a lega, there is a moment every day when HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zohar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets into anger. And Bilam knew exactly when that moment was and he wanted to curse us just at that moment and had he been successful, says the Gemara, when Ishtayr, Sarim, Upolit, Misenetra, Yisrael, there would be nothing left of all of Klai Yisrael. And Taisus asks, what, can you, how can, how, what kind of curse could you give in one second? And Taisus said, he could have said in one third and Taisus, he could have given one word, Kalei, destroy them. He could have said that word at that moment, and all of Klai Yisrael would have been destroyed. Imagine, all of Klai Yisrael. Oves HaKadosh, Mavrami Tzviyakim, Tanoim, Ameiroim, Beis Hamidosh, Mashiach. All of that in one second, in one second would be gone. He would have said Kalein. Very dangerous Rega. Mara says that Yeshua ben Levi had a certain siman on a rooster to see when this moment is. And he wanted to curse a particular tzadoiki and he was watching the rooster, but he fell asleep just at the moment, and he said, you see that Akhadosh Baruch doesn't want us to know or to be able to use this terrible, dangerous lega. So the question is, so why is it there? Why did Akhadosh Baruch make a world where there is a lega that everything could be destroyed, and yet no one knows when it is, and Bilam will do what it is, so Yomara says, Hashem says, I won't get angry the entire time, in order that he shouldn't be able to calculate that moment, so nothing terrible should happen. So what is it there for? And perhaps the answer is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to know that inherently and intrinsically, this entire world, this entire Alam HaZed, doesn't have a smooth kiyum for one second. The whole thing could disappear in a second. It's designed that way. Inherent in the Bria is that all that we see before us, all of the physical world, is truly meaningless. It's truly programmed that it can be destroyed in a second that ceases to exist. And then the Lord says, I'll take care that it shouldn't happen. But you have to know what it is. Now, today we live in a nuclear age. We can relate to this. Today we know that what's the world, you know, the GDP of this nation, so much wealth, quadrillions, quintillions, how much is all the real estate in the world worth? How much is it all worth? <laughs> Today, not only can they create a new world, they're already creating, they're there, they're set up in their silos, just waiting to push the button. You know how much the whole world is worth? I think the button is a plastic button that costs about 25 cents. That's the value of every single thing in the world. That's the value of that button. Kajabaru says, I'll take care. I'll look after it, that the Rege Shalzam shouldn't come. 
But we have to know when we look at the word, what has value? If not every single second the physical world has no value. But what does have value? The spiritual world. The part of our lives that's beyond the power of the bombs. That's beyond the power of the weapons. That's beyond the power of the Rega Shalzal. That belong not to this world. That belong to Allah Abba. Every word that you learn, every time you give stuck out, every time you do a chesed, every time you help another person, every time you overcome a sinner and replace it with a haver, every time we put aside an anger or resentment, and we create shalom, shmosh vagodosh baruch the shalom, these are things and values that are way beyond the grasp of all the destructive forces that God baruch wants us to know. What's real in this world? What has a value in this world? That we have not able now that everything belongs to the world. So it is. We look at things completely differently. And then we understand that everything that happens is so precisely calculated. Is so perfectly designed. You know, they say today, today we may, we can see what it says in the Svarim Abedoshim that if a, a, a grain of wheat, the Moshevim said, if a grain of wheat falls, and it falls facing this way or that way, it's decreed from heaven. It's hard for us to fathom such a name, but the world is decreeing which way the kernel of grain should fall. Today we know so much. Today we know that in the smallest living organism, the most simple living organism, which is a bacteria, it couldn't be anything simpler. It's a chain of 200 amino acids. It's been calculated by supercomputers that can calculate billions of calculations per second. That for that to happen by chance would be a chance of 1 in 10 to the 260th power. 10 to the 15th is already a trillions. 10 to the 260th is a number. There's not enough room in the world to write down the number. And that's for the simplest, don't talk about an eye, talk about a, a brain, not talk about a, something that lives and moves, talk about a bacteria that gives you the flu. How complex. And today we know that a person's entire life could be recorded on a little chip. Every machshava, dibur, so we understand that we realize this hashgacha, protzakach, everything that happens. The Rebbe Zalavava says, no one can say or do anything to you that hasn't been decreed minashamayim. He said this, he didn't say anything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent a test my way. Sent it through him, he could have sent it through somebody else. HaKadosh Baruch was cre- controlling the world every step of the way when I realized that I get filled with das. Emuna brings das. Varastikli be'emuna be'yadad es Hashem. Otherwise, you cannot think everything that we will think and every thought that we will have will be a mistake, not just a mistake, a total misconception. Will we see everything completely wrong? 
Because we think he did, and he said, and I did, and I said, I prayed, and I bought, and I acquired, I made, I flipped, I did, I did nothing. Person did nothing. I know a fellow, a Talmud of our yeshiva, lives in Lakewood now, the Yingaman, and he's a, a manal in one of the yeshivas, a scam manal. You know what high salaries they get paid. So uh, he has to have a little bit of supplementary income. So on the side, he found a niche that he is an agent to buy and sell used trailers. You know, people buy trailers, construction sites, and even somebody else can use it. So he finds, he puts together buyers and sellers, and he makes a little profit here. A few hundred, a few thousand, he can make a lot of money. This he does on the side to supplement his income. He started, just started off in business. Uh, he found something brought to his attention. There were three trailers in Virginia. They were expensive trailers, $50,000 trailers, and he started advertising. He gets a call from a guy, John. He's interested in buying the trailers, but I want, I want to see them first. He says, oh, okay, well, they're in Virginia. How will we get them? The guy says, don't worry. I've got a private plane. I'll come pick you up. It doesn't live far from Lakewood. And we'll fly down to Virginia for a few hours and take a look. And if I like it, I'm going to buy it. He says, okay, great. So the guy comes to the airport near Lakewood with his private plane. It wasn't a Gulfstream, but it was a jet plane, an expensive plane. And he uh, takes him very friendly, very nice to actually ask him whether he ever fly a plane. He says, look, I'm going to try now. You put him in the pilot seat and he let him fly a little bit. It was a great day. Now, he came to Virginia and the fellow saw the trailers. He was very happy. Okay, I want to close the deal. But the senior man says, you know, i got to tell you something. In a week from now, less than a week is Pesach. It's a holiday. And I will not do any business on the holiday, nor on what's called Chalamoyim, intermediate days. I won't do any business. So if you want to finish the deal, please finish it before the holiday. But I'm not going to answer your messages. I won't answer any emails till afterwards. If it's done before, it's good. If not, really, wow, that's fascinating. Okay, I respect your religious convictions. And we'll try to finish the deal. He doesn't hear from him before Yalton. On Chalamoyim, he gets an email. Um, I, 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 I want to close the deal. Uh, I, I don't need, I just need to know where to send the check. So he's not answering. He said, I'm not going to answer anything on Chalamoy. Chazal saying, there's no brother from work that all does Chalamoy. I'm not keep sending him again. I, did, I don't need anything, just give me a number. No answer. Finally, he had five or six messages. He decided, no, but he's just going to tell him, you know, I got, I got your messages. Please don't send me any messages till after the holiday. We can take care of that. I don't want to do any business. Okay. He waits after the altar, two days, three days, doesn't hear anything from John, doesn't hear anything from him. And uh, he's waiting, he starts getting nervous, he calls him up, he's not answering his calls. And finally, three, four days later, he calls him, he says, you know, I really want to apologize, I really want to do the deal, but I want to bring the trailers and the zoning, where I'm living, they're not giving me, the, they're not allowing me to bring these trailers, so I have to, I feel terrible, I cannot close the deal. But I, I, I'm so respectful of what you did, and you wouldn't answer my emails on your holiday. So here I'm sending, sent him a few thousand dollars. Spend it on your family. It was more than the profit he would have made on the holiday, and he still has the trailers, right? So, unbelievable, right? He didn't have a loss, he has a gain. I heard the story from his father. So I met him and said, your father told me, I'm going to say, that's not, you hear the rest of the story. <laughs> what happened is, well, a few days later, I found out that in a place near North Carolina, a, a distant uh, town 
there's 15 trailers that's supposed to be in good condition. I can make a killing on it. You need a lot of money. We have to bring in some partners to buy it. But how am I going to go get to see it? He starts checking. There's no direct flights to this little city. The closest is North Carolina. We have to find another way to get there. It would take him two days. And he's works at a yeshiva. He can't just take off in two days. Doesn't know what to do. And he's thinking, finally, you know, John has got a private plane. I'll call up John. I'll let him. It's worth it. What can he charge me? Two thousand dollars for dealer, big dealer. He calls John. Look, you know, I'll pay you if you would just take me with your private plane and just take me to see these trailers and then bring me back home. He laughs at him. He says, "He, it's against the law. You can't, I can't do that. It's not a commercial airline. I, I'm not allowed to take money from you. I'm really sorry. I can't, I can't take you. I would love to, but I can't do it for you." A few days later, he gets a phone call. John's on the phone. He says, "You wouldn't believe it." I have to be, I've got a business deal in North Carolina. And I have to travel there. I'm not far from you. I'd be happy to take you. And you'll find your way from there to the city where you have to go. Just really waiting. I'm going on Wednesday. Be in the airport. It's 15 minutes away from Lakewood. It's a small airport with a private plane. Be there at 12 o'clock. 12 in the afternoon. 12 o'clock? They're making a dollar minchah. They're a minion in this place. Everyone <laughs> starts calling up, Chabad, here, there. Nobody, there's no minion. I never miss Philip and Sigmund. What am I going to do? He was very worried. Came that morning, he says, Shachet, he davened. He davened to Hashem. He says, Please, Hashem, I never miss Daven and Bitsilah. Help me, I shouldn't have to, because he has to die. And Daven said, You're allowed to. It's for business, you have to go, you have no choice. But he still he down he said to Rebbe please help me, I should be able to have a minute for many minute. And when he finishes dominating, he decides, you know, this guy is taking me, I go, I'm going to buy him some lunch. Bring him lunch, you know, they love Jewish food, Google, Kishkin, He goes, this John, you know, I'm going to treat you to Jewish lunch, you're going to love it. Oh, thank you so much. He says, again, he doesn't, don't forget to be in the airport at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock? Did you tell me 12 o'clock? No, I never said 12 o'clock. Two, two o'clock, you're so excited. There's a minion, 1.30 minute. And he can get that minion, down minute, and he shoots out 15 minutes later, and he's there in the airport at 2 o'clock. Comes in, John's not there. There's nobody there. He's waiting, he doesn't know what's happening. He calls him up and says, I'm so sorry, I got a delay. I'll be there at 2.30, 2.45. He's sitting in this empty airport. He looks out the window, he sees a doing construction in the airport. So there's people standing there behind the desk. He walks up and says, you know, I see you doing construction. Maybe he needs some trailers. And the guy looks at him and says, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. Who sent you here, God? He says, what are you talking about? Of course, that's what he said to him. He takes out his pad. I just wrote down the things I have to take care of. Trailers. We need trailers for me to jump. I don't know how to begin, who to call. Can you take care of this whole thing for me and get it off my head? He said, of course I will. So we had this half hour and he did a deal. Bought the people, he sold some trailers. Now John picks them up at 2.30 and they're traveling out to this place again. No, this is a, this, this story sounds like from the Balshemtus time. But really, I'll tell you it's a true story. I'll tell you exactly. I called him to check every detail. And I'm leaving out some of the details. I don't want to take up so much time. And he says, and he says, um, okay, they're traveling to North Carolina. But they get a message from the airfield that you can't land here. There's some sort of construction. And the closest place they can land is a small airport right next to that little town where he has to go see the trailer. And so they land over there. 
And John has to wait till he gets clearance to go back to North Carolina. See, he meets it, it belonged to a school, so the superintendent of the school meets him and says, Well, the trailers aren't here, they're on some farm somewhere. Come, I'll take you in my car. And he takes him down. Now, the big in, in this business, the main thing is to move the merchandise quickly because you have to pay a lot for storage and shipping. It's not worth it, only if it's not too expensive. So he comes down to this farm and he sees they're really in good condition, these trailers. They start calculating per square footage. It costs about $7,000 a month for storage. So he, he asks the farmer who owns the farm, says, tell me, how much are you going to charge me for storage? He looks at him, $2,400. Wow, what a deal. To a third of what I, was third, what I wanted to pay. Uh, more. He says, uh, do you mean per week or per month? Nah, for the year. $2,400 to leave 15 trailers for the year. You want to sign, you got to sign a contract? No, nah, I don't have to sign a contract, I trust you. The school superintendent says, the whispers in his ear, doesn't want to sign a contract, he doesn't have a right. But just, just take it, it's a deal. Now, as he's leaving, he gets a call from John. John says, you wouldn't believe it. The deal that I was meant to, I was coming to North Carolina has been canceled. It looks like this whole trip I made was just for you. Does the run the world? Do we have anything to say? So, but, but, oh, when we see a heaven, oh, Hashem is my girl. And when it doesn't work, it's also Hashem. Hashem doesn't make a mistake. Hashem's Chochman in the, in, the, in, the, in the 200 amino acids is not big, big, a huge computer, a giant computer. It's infinite. It's ain't safe. I was sitting at a house of it two weeks ago. Next to a rov, was got the chasmus later. The rov is from Mansi. Choshevid says, "I got to tell you what happened in my shul. Listen to this; it's, it's unbelievable." There's, there's a man in my shul who he got a call out of Shabbos, and his mother, who lives in England, in Manchester, just died, and they have a levaya in the Eretz Yisrael on Sunday, so he has to get yes, they organized to go once the Shabbos to go to Eretz Yisrael, but his Mother left in Sabor, she wants to be buried, her parents are buried in Haram and Luchas, and she finally should buy for a plot that's as close to her parents as possible. But if I have to leave on Motsu Shabbos, how am I going to take care of it? So he called up a friend who lives in her and says, you get hold of the Chevri Kedisha and buy for my mother a plot next to her parents. And so when I arrive on Sunday, it should be taken care of, so I'll take care of it. So the friend tries to pull Motsu Shabbos, he can't find it, gets hold at 1 o'clock, nobody gets a hold of the guy in charge of the Chevrolet Kedish. The guy's still sitting in the office. The office is in the Hirati town, Yerushalayim. He says, you know, it's about to come over, you have a Leviathan tomorrow. So he says, he says, come over, and he shows him the map, and he sees where the two kvarim are, and he's about 200 yards away, about 200 yards away, there's two empty spaces, and he says, um, okay, so let's buy it, but he sees right next to the kvarim of his parents, there's two empty spaces there too, he says, what about that? He says, well, they belong to somebody, so maybe that person doesn't mind to change. He says, how do I get hold of them? One o'clock in the morning? He says, you know what? Chesed Shalem is going to try to call the person. I have a phone number. He starts calling and calling. Five away. 
So, he tries to call the fellows and answer the phone. Now, while this is going on, is he standing by the Kaisal and he's dominating? When he finishes, he leaves, he decides he has to use the bathroom, he has to use the Besakisa. But they were doing construction and the Besakisas were closed there. He thinks maybe he's going to go home, what should he do? And he sees the lights on in the office of the Chabra Kaddish. We'll go there, ask them, knocks on the door, says, Do you mind, can I use the, can I use the bathroom? Sure, Shalom Aleichem. He says to him, uh, Well, he says, What's your name? And the fellow says, My name is so and so. The guy behind me says, I don't believe it. He says, Look, I'm in the middle of trying to call you right now. This is a Mysid Shalayah. He says, I need to know, do you mind to change these places for these, this man who has his mother's funeral tomorrow? He says, I don't need these two. I don't mind to switch. Fine. And it was arranged. I'm not trying to tell you nice stories of this. When, when you hear something, which, this is a true story. I, I myself usually don't believe these things. When I hear it from people, when I know the people, that means we don't begin to know the world we're living in. We have a complete misconception of what's going on in this world. Whether it works out the way we want it, or it doesn't work out the way we want it. Oyelam Hazer, if you don't like the guy is banging on the, on the door of the elevator to make it come faster. Elevated as a program, you can bang and kick. All we have, we have Bechira, we have Tfila, we have Koychus Ruchni, but in the world of Kashmir, if we have that, that Buddha, then we have us. Then we know, then we understand, then we can wait for the Tell story, let's going to finish with this, that uh, the Tell story, there's a heat in Russia, it's, uh, he had two horses ran away. Uh, everybody came to console, big monetary loss, lost two horses. There's no worry, the story's not over yet. The next day, the two horses came back with a third wild horse. They all came to rejoice with it. Look, you made a profit. Your horses ran away. So the story is not over yet. The next day, his son took a ride on the wild horse, and the wild horse threw him, and the wood broke both of his legs. They came to console him. So the story is not over yet. The next day, they came to the Russian government. They were looking for the boys to make it to the army. They saw with broken legs. They said, no, we don't need you with your broken legs. He said, ah, now the story is over. This is what Amunah means. Amunah means, I am not in charge. When you have Amunah, you have Yonah, Hashem, you live with Seichel, don't just live with the Midas. And that's how we build the Jeroch into our hearts. That's how we give them a place in your main way When we acknowledge controls every single moment of the Bria. That's how we get rid of Sinah Sinah, because that's where it comes from. It comes from Kfira. Why do you think that Shabbat was the head of the ego? Because it was Abba Yisrael. Sinah Sinah comes away, we think Abba Yisrael, we say Krishna, Abba Yisrael, something in the old days, there was something called Abba Yisrael, it doesn't exist anymore. Of course it exists. We talk about it every time we say Krishna. There's all sorts of Abba Yisrael, But they said by the Cheta Egel, Egel, the Hecha Yisroel. Rastich li be'emunah, Yodat Hashem. 
Let us remember and be clear, clear to ourselves. Because Baruch who runs the world, controls the world. Every single cell in the Bria is controlled by Kodesh Baruch. And then we'll see that we're able to love each other. We'll see we're able to get past our anger, our resentment, all sorts of feelings that torment us and plague us for no reason at all. No reason at all. The person has das. We bring Hashem into us. We bring Hashem into us. We become a walk of Hashem. We show up as well who have been ready for Hashem. Hashem as well who bring down the base of English old age and come to rest within us. We deserve to see the color the binyan in Shalayim in Akoyvesh. We deserve to be as Mashiach and Kayim and bring the base of English from Hashem. Amen.